0: Now from the Milken Institute, Responding to COVID-19, Conversations
1: with Mike Milken. Public health will not be able to cope with this pandemic if it becomes a major crisis of the scale that we have seen in the West and in China. There's almost nothing we can do about it because we just don't have time. But it has been a massive wake-up call.
0: That's Strive Masayiwa, He's one of Africa's and the world's most successful entrepreneurs and philanthropists. Today, he has a new role. As special envoy to the African Union, he's working to bring needed supplies to the continent as it braces for the worst of the pandemic. He spoke recently with Milken Institute and Faster Cures chairman, Mike Milken. Strive, thank you for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, Mike. I hope you're keeping safe.
0: We are keeping safe and, as you know, working hard at every one of the centers in the Milken Institute and our medical foundations on trying to find a solution as soon as possible on many fronts to the coronavirus. Strive, I've appreciated our friendship over a long period of time. One of the areas that we share passion for is the future of Africa, particularly the focus on sub-Sahara Africa. One of the programs we spoke about was the Milken Institute IFC, International Finance Corp Fellows Program, where we would educate in the United States a 1,000 future leaders of emerging countries throughout the world to be financial experts and to be counterparties so we could create opportunities in their countries. This has been an enormous success to date with your help. I'd like to turn our attention to your business, your philanthropy, your focus on entrepreneurism in Africa.
1: Thank you so much, Mike, and thank you for those kind remarks. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to be counted amongst your friends and to have participated in some of those very transformative global conversations that you hold both in Africa, the Middle East, And in the United States, you know, it's ironic, Mike, given the questions that you ask that my own philanthropy began as a result of the last great pandemic, which was HIV AIDS. And at the time I was just running a startup business, been in business now 33 years. And I was at the time in the construction industry and I saw the devastation created by HIV AIDS. And so I created an education trust, or what you call foundations, to help children orphaned by HIV AIDS. And my wife and I have run that for 25 years, and we've since sent more than 250,000 young people to school. As you know, our business is very much on the technology side. I began in wireless communications, as you call it, in the United States, and built some of Africa's early wireless networks. I know you help people like some of the America's greatest wireless guys, so you know my industry very well. So that's where I started, and I've pretty much stayed there with the evolution of communication. So I built data networks now. Uh, I build fiber optic cable networks. I build data centers and just the tech stuff that goes on around the world these days.
0: Where do you stand in, quote, laying fiber in Africa today and connecting the countries, connecting the people, and connecting them to the world?
1: I Initially, because of the scale of Africa, Mike, I began round about 1998 to build satellite communications across Africa. And then I turned that to building fiber networks. And so I have connected fiber almost 100,000 kilometers, uh, linking up now most of the African nations from Cape Town in the south, which you know very well, up to Cairo, We've crossed the Sahara to get to Western Africa. We've laid cables through the Congo forest, and we are still building. So right now, as we speak, we are in Nigeria, heading west, and we expect to reach Dakar. If it weren't for the coronavirus disruptions, we wanted to get there end of this year. But it's likely we will get there certainly by this time next year, all things being equal. So we've laid that hard fiber infrastructure for high-speed data. But of course, we are also the biggest builder of data centers for the African continent.
0: Let's talk for a moment about your responsibilities that you've taken on relating to the coronavirus. And when I left in February, on February 16th, 2020, our medical conference in Johannesburg on the long journey home. And one of the longest journeys that you can make on this planet is from South Africa to Los Angeles and California. It really struck me of the concern that this virus was spreading throughout the world. And we redirected our centers to focus on those six areas you and I have discussed, education, prevention, testing, treatment, control, and economic and financial safety nets. Take us to what you're focused on today, Strive, and how could we help you?
1: Before your Africa trip in February, I traveled to see you in LA, and we had that wonderful conversation in your office. I said to you, Mike, where is this going? And you said to me, Strive, this thing is going to be big. It is going to be big. You were one of the first people that really got me to appreciate what we were dealing with and what needed to happen and where it was going. And I really appreciated that. What we decided was, you know, we really needed to stay ahead of the curve on this, that we probably are a couple of weeks behind where the United States or Europe are for whatever reason with this disease. So. I'm uh, a special envoy to President Ramaphosa and the African leadership, much like Adam Boyer, but on the African side. And I'm dealing with trying to help with supply chains. Uh, And in our case, our supply chains are on this are mostly external. We have to bring in test kits, protective equipment, and clinical machinery for breathing assistance and so forth. And of course, because of the demand out in the big nations, it's been really difficult to secure supplies for the African continent. Really, really difficult. All the countries have mobilized money, but managing to buy the goods is the difficulty. So that's what I am charged with with my colleagues to see how we can deal with that. But what I can say is that in terms of how it's, it's very early days for us to say where it's going to go in Africa, the African countries have been quite well coordinated in knowing what to do. We have done the lockdowns, even though we are unable to create safety nets, but we've done lockdowns to try and slow down the spread in most countries. We know every country is sovereign and in the end, you actually, no one can tell them what to do. They have to do their own thing, but we try and speak to each other, coordinate. And that's what part of my work at the moment. But like I say, it's early days. We have recorded less than 70,000 active infections with about 3% of that in fatalities. But for a continent of 1.3 billion, it's still low, but the trajectory is there. You can see it. But it's just a question we're going to keep this under until fast cures can give us something.
0: Well, we are definitely working. And as you know, Strive, our tracker at the themilkeninstitute.org, we are tracking more than 300 vaccines, antivirals, antibody, immunology, and other strategies today. And I don't really think most of the people in the world fully realize how young sub saharan Africa is, where the entire continent, I think median age is 19. Yeah. It is estimated that as much as 40% of all the children in the world by the end of this century will be living in this part of the world today. Talk to us a little bit about Africa today the countries of africa so diverse more than 50 countries where do they stand in their development and where you feel the building out of the fiber optic system will benefit one of the concerns as we have talked about over the years is a convertible currency in the united states particularly people have dramatically increased their purchases online and whether it's amazon or walmart or kroger who are the three largest employers in the United States or Target? That might be the fourth. Much of their business has moved online, but people have a convertible currency. Walk us through some of these issues.
1: Thanks again, Mike. And you know, your institute has done some tremendous work on the continent. But you know, just in numbers, the continent is 1.3 billion people. We are $2.5 trillion economy, probably about the same size as India in terms of the size of the economy. Before this crisis, out of the 15 fastest growing economies in the world, 10 were African. But also, of the 20 fastest growing cities in the world, 15 are African. You're going to see mega cities out of Africa some of which are just little towns right now because of this continuous growth in our population. The urbanization of Africa is marching. So it's young, it's hopeful. There's one thing you'll always find in Africa is bucket loads of energy and optimism. Africa is not a pessimistic place for the better part of it. A lot of young entrepreneurs starting businesses and really wanting to get on. So we have these bustling cities, lots of young entrepreneurs, and we are seeing, we're being taken very seriously as a place to do business by really big companies. Africa's biggest trading partner has for historical reason been Europe. But over the last two decades, China has grown very quickly to become Africa's second largest trading partner. Primarily, Africa has been feeding China with commodities as it has ramped up its industrialization. Of course, we have our challenges, just like any continent. But in the main, Africa's made some good, steady progress. Five percent annual growth was the average before the crisis. When it comes to currencies, of course, it's a little bit, again, like Europe pre the creation of the euro. Will Africa ever have its convertible common currency? It is the vision. that We believe in it. At least all the French-speaking African countries, of which there are almost 30 of them, do have a common currency. So it's not something that is beyond us achieving in the next generation. But we probably would want to see great, more open currencies before that. And quite a number of the key currencies like Kenya, shilling, are freely convertible. South Africa, of course, is restricted. Nigeria is restricted. But you can do business there. And you can build billion-dollar businesses in these countries, without a doubt. You know, we've been able to do that in the mobile sector. So I'm hopeful, Mike. So strive
0: the American dream. One of the things that has struck me over a long period of time is how this dream is alive and well in many parts of the world. And I see it as I travel to the countries in Africa. And part of this dream has been your communications to this group of four million people talking about what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be creative. How did you start with your followers and what are the messages that you want to deliver and how is that working during the coronavirus?
1: We're now 5 million, my community of entrepreneurs, and we're adding uh, almost a quarter of a million every few weeks because of, uh, I think to a great extent, because a lot of young people are now coming to the platform even more. So it's a community of entrepreneurs. They all have their businesses or they want to be in business. Some of them are social entrepreneurs. And I discuss with them the underpinning principles of successful entrepreneurship, innovation, marketing, how to build products. And they're great fans, of course, of the history of American enterprise because it's the best written and the most exciting for young entrepreneurs. We've just gone through a podcast together, which was done in the United States, called Business Wars, which looks at all the history of American companies. And it excites them when they know that Coca-Cola was once small and Bill Gates was once just like they are today, you know? And, of course, they know Michael Milken. And uh, I my last post to them was, I'm doing this podcast with Michael and we are going to post it on our platform so that you can all listen to it. And I also told them, Mike, that we're going to be sharing some of the other podcasts that you've done. They're very, very engaged and we always win the award for being the most engaged platform in business in the world on social media because of the amount of time they spend discussing amongst themselves what's on the platform.
0: So, one of the things that you and I have talked about is that in some ways, Africa has underinvested in health, delivery systems, infrastructure, public health. There's been a focus, as you know, over the decades on improving the quality of water and other things. Where do you see, if we were to reach out, that you'd like to see investments in Africa? As it relates to the public health system, can these mobile networks you've built and fiber optics you laid bring doctors? Many, many years ago at our global conference, we had a session on doctors in Uganda and there was one doctor for every 125,000 people in Uganda at that time. And we cannot expect Africa to develop the same way the U S did. With doctors' offices and things like that, nor do we expect them to lay roads throughout Africa. I'm sure drones will play a larger role. Have you thought about how we could deliver health more effectively to Africa using your digital systems?
1: Well, to begin with, Mike, you're right to say that we have horribly underinvested in public health. I guess when you've got a lot of young people. Sometimes as policymakers, it's easy to not pay that their attention when they've got so many things to run with. But that's not to condone anything. It's Our public health will not be able to cope with this pandemic if it becomes a major crisis of the scale that we have seen in the West and in China. There's almost nothing we can do about it because we just don't have time. But it has been a massive wake up call to say we need to carry out major investment in public health, as well as to liberalize the healthcare sector so that investment can come in, because we don't have private hospitals either. And certainly the poor in Africa have been, it's been a terrible injustice, the way our public health system has been developed over the last few decades. So there are a number of leaders now in Africa, led by President Kagame of, uh, of Rwanda, who have now formed a voluntary group, to which is saying, okay, post this crisis, we must at least emerge with a platform that opens up investment in the healthcare sector. Now, talking to the digital side, Obviously, there are tools out there that can help us to deliver. It's not a panacea for failure to build public health. You know, a hospital is still a hospital. But having said that, there is a lot of tools that we can apply in telehealth and other digital tools that make it possible, and that's what we are trying to do. We've had amazing experiments. We had a full operation done with a fiber-optic link With doctors sitting in the United States helping African doctors to carry out a procedure to put somebody's arm that had been taken off by a crocodile. There's a lot you can do. And I think also one of the things that may come out of this pandemic is an acceleration of the digital tools. When I'm talking about how we are tackling this pandemic, I say, I talk of TTIT. We've got to test, we've got to trace. We've got to isolate, then we've got to treat. If we get the first three right, then treat anyway in a place, in a situation where we don't have the hospitals and we don't have the cure anyway. We've got to focus on the first three. And those first three do allow us a lot of imaginative possibilities in digital tools, provided we do not infringe the privacy of others.
0: Strive, I think it's exceedingly important that our listeners understand how different particularly sub-Sahara Africa is from almost the entire world. China is aging faster than almost any country has ever aged before. And someday China will have more people over 65 than live in the United States. And so the dealing, as you've pointed out, with a young population Dominated by people that are younger versus other parts of the world. And you know, sometimes when you're young, you feel that you are mortal against disease. I think was an important point. So Stacey Warden, who runs our center for global market development that you know well and have worked well, we launched an Africa COVID-19 tracker just for Africa, which the United Nations and others are following so we can track Africa. Let's. Talk for a moment about food. How are we going to make sure we can supply food to this continent during the coronavirus and the challenges that have? And we've had significant focus on this area. And one of your partners that I did a podcast with, Jeff Skoll, has been focused on this as a challenge.
1: A continent like Africa has many different food systems. Some have rice as a staple, some have Cassava has a staple, maize as a staple, potato as a staple. You know, we all have staples. And in many cases, some African countries find it cheaper to import something rather than to produce it. There's been a major disruption in the supply chains, particularly movement of goods. The lockdowns have affected smallholder farmers. So their livelihoods, and we have almost... of Africa's population makes their livelihoods as smallholder farmers. So this pandemic is going to have a major impact and is already impacting supply of food and the pricing of food. And that is usually an explosive nexus. So a destruction of livelihoods, a destruction of food supplies, could see major parts of the continent destabilized and creating problems. So we all need to keep an eye on this and to help Africa navigate itself through something which is not of its making and is affecting us, but which has, it has far much less capacity to tackle this. And this is where we really need some global thinking, and audacious thinking of the kind of thinking that created the Bretton Woods, the Marshall Plan organizations, post-World War Europe. Because if we don't think like that, towards how to help Africa through this, it could be a very difficult next two or three decades. And it doesn't have to be so.
0: Prime, you and your family have joined Laurie and myself and our family at the Giving Pledge. And I think the commitment and one of the joys of my life has been getting to know your entire family, your children. And I wish you and your entire family good health. And I wish you Godspeed in your efforts to help lessen the load in Africa of the coronavirus. All the best.
1: Thank you, Mike. And God bless you and your family. We will see you soon.
0: Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or milkeninstitute.org podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.